We're standing at the beginning of another year, and I don't, I'm not sure what your practice is at the beginning of, uh, of a year, but sometimes people put together resolutions. Um, maybe those of you who have lived long enough would say, uh, well, <laughs> resolutions were something I used to do, but I know better, and I've just kind of given that all up altogether. I would encourage you this morning to reconsider. Certainly, as we look at a new year, as we look at uh, new opportunities, um, those opportunities are only going to be possible as we align ourselves to the things that God has called us to in his word. I wonder, maybe you would ask yourself the question this morning, how might I make 2022 a year that is different? How might I be productive? How might I accomplish God's purposes in my life for this year? Maybe you might think of some of the people throughout history, or what does it take to be a difference maker in the culture in which we live? You might think of people with certain gifts or abilities or certain positions and think, ah, certainly if I could have that gift or I could have that position, then God could really use me. I think about people like Augustine, who lived back in the early parts of the, of the third and fourth century, and his, his aptitude for spiritual and theological insight was unbelievable and shaped the future of theology and doctrine because of his attention to the Word of God, his ability to articulate the Word of God faithfully. But do you realize that if it had not been for Augustine's mother, there never would have been an Augustine. The praying, faithful, consistent, pleading of a godly mother for her son. And because of the pleading of God for a son and the work of God in a heart, God made a man. And God accomplished his purposes in the life of this great father of the faith. Maybe you think about John and Charles Wesley. You think about the, the, the development of the, the Wesleyan movement, the, the Wesleyan church, and the, the commitment that they had and attention that they had to the, the Scripture and the Word of God and the commitment to ministry and faith. The hymns that we sing today are a result, many of them, because of, of Charles Wesley's investment and skill in music and poetry. And much of the theology that we have, the benefit of, of sound teaching from, from John Wesley, both of which resulted because of a faithful mother, Susanna Wesley, who prayed for her kids, poured her, her heart out for her family, and God moved through her family because of a praying mother. Maybe you think about somebody like D.L. Moody, who was influential in our time as one who was faithful and loved the word of God. And yet, D.L. Moody would say it was a result of three faithful women in his church that prayed on a consistent basis that God was able to move his ministry from the mundane into the mighty. God accomplished great things through the life and ministry of D.L. Moody because of praying people. Maybe you might look to somebody like Charles Spurgeon and think, 
What a gifted man who's able to articulate the scriptures in a way that, that just resonates in the heart. His ability to, to illustrate and use word pictures that, that just uh, have stood the ages of time. And Spurgeon himself would say, I would rather teach one man to pray than ten men to preach. He recognized the significance of praying people. And he attributed the success of his ministry to a praying group of individuals who prayed through the service as he was preaching. And because of their faithful ministry to him and to that church and to us by extension, we benefit from the mighty work of Charles Spurgeon. Maybe even the, the pastor who was influential in founding this church, many of you know Bill Brock. And as he retired from ministry here and moved into a role as the uh, representative for uh, General Association of Regular Baptists here in Ohio, there was a church that he would often go to speak in and Every time he would preach at this church, there was this fresh presence and power of God that he experienced. And in asking the pastor of the church, what was, what was the reason for this? Did, did, did this pastor experience the same kind of presence and power of God in his ministry? And he did because of an individual who on Saturday nights, every Saturday from 8 to 12, would pray for the ministry. And because of the prayer for the ministry, power of God came through the word of God. We know that prayer is important. We look through the word of God and, 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 and no one has to convince us of the significance of prayer. We even maybe know from experience the, the fresh presence of God that we've had in, in, in moments of communion and fellowship with God through prayer. And this morning, I want us to, to come again to be reminded of the significance of prayer, especially as we look at prayer in the life and ministry of Jesus. We're going to see that it was a ministry of power in prayer. And as we come to the Gospel of Luke in Acts, we're going to recognize that this theme of prayer is a, is a prominent uh, theme throughout these two letters, these two books of the Bible. 58 times this word is used or translated for us throughout the Gospel of Luke and Acts. No other New Testament book refers to prayer more often than Acts in Luke. There's at least four Greek words that are used throughout these books to describe prayer. The most prominent, of course, is prosukamai, which is to pray. But then other words, Greek words, that, that, that draw attention to the various aspects of prayer, the pleading, the requesting, the petitioning, the begging and imploring of God to accomplish and to show up in a life that is resonant and in alignment with his purposes for life. The opening scene of the Gospel of Luke, even at the outset of this Luke, is punctuated by prayer. I would encourage you to open up your Bibles, if you would please, to, to Luke chapter 1. If you're a guest with us and don't have your own Bible, you can find that on page 855 in the Pew Bible ahead of you. Luke chapter 1. Luke wants us to understand 
at, at the, after the, the opening uh, introduction of his little gospel, he wants you to recognize the significance of prayer. And so fresh, at the outset of this gospel, Luke is drawing attention to the significance of communion with God. Notice Luke chapter 1, verse 10. And the whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the hour of incense. All that would be experienced, all that would be known in terms of the, the coming of the forerunner of Jesus Christ, John the Baptist, all that would be experienced and known as it, as it relates to the, the coming deliverer, the coming Savior, would be preceded by prayer. The coming of Christ, the welcoming of Emmanuel, God made flesh, the the presence of God among his people would come as a result of praying people. Of course, Elizabeth and Zechariah were praying for his son, but also in this moment, no doubt, praying for the Redeemer, the coming Messiah. Zechariah makes his way into the temple, as we saw a few weeks ago. He's confronted by the angel Gabriel, and uh, the angel says, Don't be afraid, in verse 13. For your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Or John, excuse me. Luke wants us to understand at the very outset of this book that nothing that is significant happens independent of prayer. We see the reflection of worship in the hearts of Elizabeth and Mary and Zechariah. You could even refer to the prophetic utterances in chapter 1 as the prayer of God, this rejoicing heart, this thankful, worshiping heart in calling attention to the promises of God and reflected now in the actuality of a, of a little baby boy growing in a womb. The impossible had happened because of God's working through praying people. Chapter 2 is no different. In chapter 2, verses 25 to 26, we're introduced to another character named Simeon, and a little later on, uh, a lady by the name of Anna, who are both devoted to God, focused in a life that is oriented and saturated by prayer. Notice verse 25 of chapter 2. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Now prayer is not mentioned specifically in these two verses, but no doubt as a man who is devoted to God and in the temple, there was a praying heart. That's why the Spirit answered and assured him that he would not die until he saw the consolation of Israel. This devotion of praying and waiting and yearning and longing and anticipating the Savior led to a praying, worshipful heart. We see this again in chapter 2. Then dropping down to verse 36, where we're introduced to another lady, Anna. We find, and there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Penuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin. 
and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping, here it is, with fasting and prayer night and day. In coming up at the very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Israel. When God's people desire God, they pray. And when God's people pray, God answers. Are you a follower of God this morning? Are you one who desires God this morning? That will be reflected in the heart of prayer. The more you yearn and desire and seek after God, the more your heart will pray the more you will find yourself in communion with God and the conditioning of a heart to want to enjoy and taste of God uh, on a greater basis, a fuller, in a fuller way, will be a heart that is conditioned by prayer. We expect people to pray, don't we? <laughs> and we expect people to pray because we understand our own limitations. We know that we are physically weak. We know that there are situations that we can't influence. We know that we are limited in terms of wisdom, in terms of perspective, in terms of our ability to, to guide various situations. So when we think about prayer, we, we think about asking God for stuff. But this morning when we come to our study in the Gospel of Luke, and as we see the ministry of Jesus being conditioned by prayer, it begins to shape our perspective. We, we can understand why men would pray because we are needy. We are desperate. We need help. But why does God pray? Why did Jesus pray? As we think about the praying Savior, it, it opens the door to help us understand prayer from a whole new perspective. Not just asking God for stuff. And by the way, he delights in, in blessing us with good things. But, but he wants something more for us. He wants to give himself to us so that we can enjoy all that is in God. All of the things that he has to offer in himself that are independent of this world. So this morning, as, we, as you think about the new year... <laughs> and you think about perhaps some resolutions to make, I, I would encourage you not just to make prayer a resolution. I would encourage you to consider making this an area of repentance in your life. Not a resolution, but an area of repentance, meaning you're turning from what you know to be wrong, and you're turning towards the things you know to be right, because we know that God has called us to prayer. We know he's commanded prayer. We know that he's encouraged it through his word. He, he calls us to it. He's given us the Holy Spirit who intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. That the ministry of Christ at the right hand of the Father is a ministry of intercession. And he's given us the word of God so we can speak the words of God back to God in prayer. And so all that we need to have communion with God is available to us. And so for us not to pray is for us not to obey so maybe this morning what you need and by the way what I need desperately is a heart that is tender 
in recognizing what God has called us to and a turning towards that which God has called us to so we can see and experience the wonder of all that God has to give to us. I think of God's ministry in my own life. I think of Mildred Tibbetts. I think of Jean Fisher. I think of Grandpa Kendall. I think of all of the people that God has used throughout my life to be instrumental in praying for me that God would accomplish his purposes in me. That is the same ministry that God wants to have you do for others, your family, the people who are in relationship with you, the people in your community, the people in your workplace, that it cannot happen unless you ask God to accomplish that work. James says, you have not because, why? You ask not. May we not be like that. May we not be distant and disobedient prayers. So as we look at the life of Jesus, and you can see that it's permeates the entirety of the gospel of Luke. I've given you many of the references there in your notes that would, that would show you that, that prayer is such a prominent theme throughout this book that it's almost every chapter is dominated by this theme. There's only four chapters really where a reference to prayer cannot be seen. So we're, you're looking at a gospel where where there's either a mention, specific mention of prayer, a reference to prayer, or somebody praying, whether it's somebody praying to Jesus or Jesus praying to God. Jesus demonstrates the significance of prayer. And as God praying to God, we have something to learn. I want to give you some snapshots. We don't have time to dig deep this morning we're going to get to this as we move through this study. We're going to be picking up the Gospel of Luke this year. Uh, the goal is to finish to chapter 10 by this time next year. And we're going to, we're going to take a different kind of um, approach, as it were. We're going to spend about five or six weeks kind of moving through some chapters. So you can get an overview. So you can kind of pull out this, this zoomed out view of the gospel and seeing the life of Jesus. And then for five or six weeks, we're going to press in. We're going to look at a specific theme. We're going to develop that theme, press into to something, dive deep in, in a truth that is the, the resonant truth within those chapters so we can get a broad, broad look and a, and a deep look at the word of God. And as we do those deep looks, we'll provide a, a study guide for you so that we can go deep together, as it were. I want to make the life of Jesus Christ not just the example for us, but we can truly, as Peter says, walk in his steps. You can't do that if you don't know what Christ's life is like. So let's take a peek at that this morning. Let's pick this up at Luke chapter 3, verse 21. Luke chapter 3, verse 21. Uh, the scene that we're confronted with is the scene of John the Baptist's ministry. You know, Luke chapter 1 is about announcing births. Chapter 2 is about Jesus' early life. And then chapter 3 is about John the Baptist, his life and ministry. The forerunner, John the Baptist, was preaching about the kingdom. 
He's preaching about repentance and attracting these massive crowds, as we find in verse 15. And the crowds were asking a question, is this guy the Messiah? Notice verse 15, as the people were in expectation and and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John whether he might be the Christ. John answered them all saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is, is coming. The strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And now Jesus arrives on the, th- on the scene, and in verse 21 we see his baptism. Notice, now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened. And the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We find here uh, the model of Jesus in praying at the beginning of his ministry. That's point number one. Jesus prioritized prayer. He recognized the significance of beginning instrumental in essential ministry with prayer. Luke is the only gospel writer to record Jesus' praying at his baptism. I think it's significant because as Luke will focus on Jesus as the Son of God and the Son of Man, and he spills this same theme as we come into the book of Acts as well, a man attested to you by signs and wonders in Acts chapter 2, speaking of Jesus, we come to recognize that Jesus, as being fully man, had a part of his life that there was a need for dependence and communion, wisdom and strength and guidance from God the Father. Jesus not only set the model for us in what following God and being a follower of God should look like, but he helped us to realize and recognize the significance of prayer at instrumental moments of our life and ministry. Jesus would begin his ministry with prayer. This was essentially his commissioning service. This was the first time that Jesus would publicly enter into full-time ministry work. For 30 years, Jesus had waited in the background. I wonder, just in just thinking about the patience of Jesus For this moment, how many times had Jesus sat in the synagogue and heard a a person who was leading the synagogue and the teaching and wondering, oh my goodness, this is so wrong. I need to correct this guy. But Jesus waited. And, And how many times did Jesus, in compassion, pass those individuals who were hurting, those people who were diseased and sick, knowing That God had given him power to heal, but knowing the time had not yet come. And yet, Jesus waited for the opportune time. And in this moment, knowing that he had been commissioned for ministry, he prays. He begins his ministry with prayer. Jesus knew what lay ahead. And in this moment, however brief, we can only assume that Jesus committed himself, his life, his ministry, the future to glorifying the Father. 
And we can know that for sure based upon John chapter 17, his prayer at the end, which confirms that at every point of the way, Jesus sought to glorify God the Father. And notice what happens. The Godhead, united with Christ in mission and purpose, shows up in a way that is tangible so that those who are there can observe the coming of God, the reinforcement, the commissioning purpose of the triune God in commissioning Jesus for this ministry. God who is spirit presents himself publicly. The spirit, it says, descended on him in bodily form. Nowhere else in the Gospels is this word used except for in the Gospel of Luke to describe the Spirit taking on the form of a dove and coming down in a way that was visible and tangible so that all who were watching would know the confirmation of God on the life and ministry of Jesus. And the confirming word of the Father, you are my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. If you're a believer this morning, you are a minister. And you might be a doctor. You might be a salesman. You might be a mom. You might be a dad. You might be a nurse. You might be a truck driver. Whatever you might be in those other places, you are first and foremost a minister. And thus, as those recognizing the call of God in our lives, we must also be people who recognize the, the seriousness of prayer in calling down and asking for the help of God to enliven and activate and allow our ministry, the ministry that he's accomplishing through us to be fruitful. Are you a person who is praying that God's ministry in your life would be fruitful? 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5 calls attention to our identity. It says, you also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. That is your identity. And then verse nine says, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Why? So that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That is your primary purpose here on earth if you're a believer. And if that is your purpose, then every morning as you begin your ministry of proclaiming praises to God, I trust that you are asking for God's help through prayer to allow that ministry to be effective. It will not be if you're not calling attention to that role that God has called you to. I wish I could remember the quote. It's on the back of your forms. It's on the back of your, your notes. And I, um, if I remember correctly, is it Oswald Chambers that says something to the effect, the effect of he who does not begin the day in prayer will scarcely see him the rest of the day? Something like that? Is that right? John Bunyan says that. Are you waking up each day with a mind that is fixed on the purpose that you've been called to? In seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, 
Is that the goal and orientation of your life? Jesus recognized the significance of prayer and by that recognition committed himself to beginning ministry in prayer. Turn the page to chapter 5, verse 16. And we see another element of Jesus' life and ministry. We see that Jesus will be one who prays in solitude because Jesus is one who recognizes the significance of devotion to God in quiet places that are free of distraction. Notice verse 16. But he would withdraw to desolate places to pray. Now, those of you who know anything about Jesus' ministry especially up to this point, will recognize that, that Jesus' ministry was profoundly impactful. Just turn the page back to chapter 4 for a moment, and, and I'll let you see how significant and, and effective his ministry was. Chapter 4, verse 22 says, And all the people spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. In chapter 4, verse 32, it says, And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. Chapter 4, verse 36, And they were all amazed at what he said, and said to one another, What is this word? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out, and, re and reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. And verse 42, And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. Chapter 5, verse 1, On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. Time and time again, Jesus' ministry was punctuated by productivity. And yet he recognized the significance of pulling away in prayer. Do not underestimate the significance of that statement. The truths built into that practice of Jesus are immense. Jesus, who depended on God for success and strength in communion and wisdom and fellowship, and trusted in the Father to accomplish his purposes in the lives of people, whether or not their outward response was right. George Mueller says, only a life of prayer and meditation will render a vessel ready for the master's use. Are you one who recognizes the significance of solitude and quietness, getting yourself away from distractions, doing what Jesus did in that he went away to a desolate place. It took deliberate activity on his part to step away from the crowds, to find a quiet place, to pray on his own, to spend concentrated, focused time with the Lord. Is that a character of your praying? Or do you, like me, find so often this distraction of pulling out the phone or that, that, uh, that thing racing through your head, that, that thought of what you need to do, the distractions of the day, the competing affections that are taking place in the various activities and pressures that you come across? Do we have a life like Jesus of recognizing the significance of focused concentrated, deliberate times alone with God. Where is that place of quietness for you? 
We come to chapter 6, verse 12. And Jesus' ministry of prayer continues. And we find that Jesus doesn't just pull away in terms of solitude, but, but we see that he prays at length. Jesus is serious about spending time with the Father. And he doesn't just shoot up these snapshot little abbreviated kinds of prayers. Jesus' time with God is, is expanded. He prays at length. Notice in chapter 6, verses 12 and 13. In these days he went out to the mountain to pray. And all night he continued in prayer to God. And when, and when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve, whom he named apostles. What was Jesus praying about? Because we know that because of the sovereignty of God, we've been talking about the foreknowledge of God. We, we can see from John chapter 6 that, that Jesus knew who these disciples were going to be before he even created the world, before he even called them to himself. So what in the world is he praying about? Well, I think, again, as we look at John chapter 17, we can see kind of a window into the things that Jesus cares about when he's praying at critical, crucial moments of his life. He's praying for this group of men. He's praying for sensitivity in their hearts and lives. He's praying for unity. He's praying for spiritual alertness. He's praying for a heart that is tender and soft and, and, and pliable to the truths. He's, he's praying that God would preserve them from the evil one, protect them for future ministry. He's praying for all of those things as, as he recognizes the significance of the ministry that they will be called to as his disciples. So he prays at length. And as he prays, certainly, he's asking the Father to do a work in their lives. As he recognizes the challenges that they'll face, the successes and opportunities that, that God, by his grace, will give to them, and the potential implications of, of this massive decision of calling these men into this band, Jesus is praying for them. Do you have sustained time with the Lord? Are there times where, where God is conditioning your own heart as you are praying for the various areas of your life, whatever challenges or, or opportunities that God has presented to you? Is there a sustained, conditioned praying to God? Do you realize that every major decision that you make should be punctuated by prayer? the school you attend, the major that you select, the person you marry, the city that you move to, the church that you serve in, the job that you choose, the house you buy, the friends that you have, the hobbies you do, the car you drive, the places you go. The, the, the reason that matters is because, as we find from 1 Corinthians 10.31, that whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, we do all to the glory of God. So we, we need to pray so that God can, can condition our hearts to, to do those things that are pleasing to him and so that when we are in the doing, that God is in the working. And every aspect of life that you are in is an aspect of ministry. We have a tendency to compartmentalize 
But all of life is ministry, whether you're in the home or you're in the workplace or you're at the grocery store or you're getting your car worked on or you're buying a Christmas tree, whatever you're doing, you have been called to ministry. You are in ministry. Is God using you as, an, as a minister where you are? Is there an awareness, an alertness in your mind to, to see the opportunities that are right before you? As we saw in 1 Peter chapter 3, 15, that we're, we're, we're ready to give a defense for the reason for the hope that's in us with meekness and fear, and there is an awareness of that opportunity because we've conditioned our heart to see it. In chapter 9, in chapter 11, we see that Jesus also prays in a way that is continual. He prays at length, but the, his life is so punctuated by prayer. We see this praying that happens continually. Notice chapter 9, verse 18. It says, And it happened as he was alone praying that his disciples joined him, and he asked them, saying, Who did the crowd say that I am? Now jumping down to verse 28. Now it came to pass about eight days after these sayings that he took Peter, John, and James and went up to the mountain to pray. Chapter 10, verses 21 and 22, we see Jesus praying to the Father. It says, In that hour Jesus rejoiced in the Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and revealed them to babes. Chapter 11, verse 1, Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. Make no mistake. A life of one who longs for God is a life of one who prays. Life of one who communes with God. Because of Jesus' continual life of prayer, it caused his disciples to come to terms with how defective their own praying was. So that in Luke chapter 11, 1, it says, Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Why? Because they knew that their praying was so broken when they looked at the life of Christ. They knew they had so much to learn from Jesus' ministry and example when they looked at his praying heart. They saw a praying God and wanted to emulate that pattern for themselves. And they knew that they could have that because Jesus uh, encouraged and invited them to participate with him in prayer. He's calling his disciples to join him up on the mountain. He's, he's, he's praying with his disciples on a consistent basis. And so they know this isn't just something that God can do. This is something they can do. Prayer must be the consistent pattern of your life. And when it is, you will find the people that you love around you will begin to ask you the same questions. Mommy, teach me to pray. Daddy, teach me to pray. And sometimes daddies look at their kids and say, I've got a lot to learn about praying by looking at the innocent confidence and faith of my kids when they pray. There's something for us to learn as we commit ourselves to this habit of continual, persistent, faithful praying. 
And as we emulate the life of Christ, we will find that the people that we love in our circles will want to have the same things that we have in terms of fellowship and communion with God that comes through prayer. In chapter 19, verse 46, kind of wrapping out our time this morning, we find that Jesus was passionate about prayer. Of course, this is the final week of Jesus' ministry. He's just made his way into Jerusalem. He has come into the temple. He is seeing all of the the, uh, broken things that are taking place in terms of, of the money changers and the the commercialization of worship. And notice in Luke, in Luke 19, 46, it is written, my house is a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Jesus is passionate for your prayer. Jesus desires prayer for you. And he purged the temple so the people could prioritize what was the purpose of the temple, and that was to pray. John says, zeal for your house has eaten you up. There was a passion in Jesus to purge and cleanse the temple so his people could pray. Finally, Jesus commands his followers to pray. Jesus commands his followers to pray. And you see a number of passages in your notes, a number of times in which Jesus not only commends, but also commands prayer. In chapter 5, verses 33 and 35, he is answering the question about the, the prayer and fasting of John the Baptist's disciples. And he says in verse 35, the days will come when the bridegroom, speaking of himself, will be taken away from them. Then they will fast in those days. The mark of those who long and yearn for Jesus will be represented by those who fast and pray and anticipate his coming. In Luke chapter 6, 28, if any of you have any enemies, we have some pretty strong words of Jesus here in this passage where he says, I say to you, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, Bless those who curse you and pray for those who spitefully use you. In chapter 10, verse 2, if God has given you a burden for the lost, he encourages you not to pray for the lost, but to pray for labors. Because God has got the, the, uh, the burden to carry those who he has elect to the finish line. Will you be part of the process in praying for laborers that, that can harvest that crop? Will you be part of that process? In Luke chapter 11, verses 1 to 4, we see the Lord's Prayer. In Luke chapter 5, and also in verse 18, a parable that Jesus teaches to commend prayer. I love the opening line of chapter 18. He told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Jesus is interested in praying people. It will characterize those who yearn and long for God. Pastor David has put together for, something, for us something very helpful. I would encourage you, if you haven't looked at the powerhouse yet this, this week, do that. Um, and if you don't know what the powerhouse is, it's a, it's a little app that's part of our Telegram feature. And uh, there's a, 
an article that's there that, that is uh, adapted from Don Whitney to lead you through 10 questions that would encourage you to pray in a very focused and I think um, strategic way in this year. If you don't have access to that yet, go on to the Maranatha Minute. There is a, a link for that at the bottom and uh, it will be tremendously beneficial for you and for me as we consider how God may help us to grow in obedience as we grow in prayer. Let's pray together. God, thank you for the ministry of your son, Jesus. Oh, what a privilege that we have access to God. May we come in confidence and anticipation as we seek to carry out the work that you've called us to. May we be faithful. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for coming this morning. Happy New Year. Thank you.